0: I'm your host, Adam P. Kennedy. Welcome to America's Place in the World, featuring retired, four-star United States Marine Corps General and former U.S. Special Envoy to Israel and the Palestinian Authority, Tony Zinni. We're looking at the world and America's place in it. In this episode, we're continuing our discussion on the Middle East, on this show, Iraq, Egypt, and Jordan. It's coming up right now.
1: Trouble with all dictators is even if they come in and, and in the beginning they're, they're benign or they do something for the people, eventually their authoritarianism leads to corruption and then leads to uh, suppressing people that want to have a voice or complaining about something. Then, you know, it, it just, it, it never works. I just saw a show on Mussolini. Many Italians felt he did a lot of good in the beginning. But then siding up with Hitler and being part of the extermination of, of, of people, and that, you know, he his authoritarianism grew and grew and grew to where it became intolerable. I don't think they they would say they miss Gaddafi, but you know, revolutions have a tendency to be really messy in the aftermath. Ours was the exception here in the United States because it was a revolution of elites. In other words, all the big shots were the ones that revolted. Usually you revolt against the big shots. So uh, ours wasn't a people revolt. It was the, the landed gentry of the South and the prosperous uh, New Englanders that got together and wanted to throw off Great Britain. And then the people followed. But when you look at revolutions like in uh, uh, France, French Revolution, Russian Revolution, they tend to be really bloody and messy for years if they come out of it, you know, and so I just think that's going to be the nature of the way you, you're going to see things in in the Middle East if, if these things continue.
0: Obviously, we were talking about Iran. In terms of Iraq, you talked about the Sunnis. So what is the status of the Sunnis in Iraq? And where do you see Iraq going from here?
1: Well, I think the Sunnis are marginalized. You know, basically, they're in Anbar province and other parts of the country concentrated in certain areas. They're not treated well by the Sunni or Shia dominated government. Big mistake when we didn't put pressure on Maliki to provide more confidence building measures, more support for the Sunni population reassurance uh, and more distribution of funds on some sort of equitable basis, which alienated them. So it's going to be hard to bring them back in. They're always going to be targets of the Shia militia. The government of Iraq is tremendously weak and corrupt. So it's really difficult for them to take charge. Everybody's running around with gangs and militias in there that claim to be part of the national security system. So their military can't really take these on. Some of their own guys may be part and parcel of these other guys. So I don't see Iraq stabilizing for a long time. I mean, I think it's got decades to go before and if it can. And it can come apart, can become violent. It can fall into civil war. It's going to be tough for it to pull it all together.
0: And this is probably a difficult question to answer, but because you've mentioned corruption across the board, how does one combat corruption? I mean, if if you were to, you know, Ambassador Zinni, how would we deal with... uh, thwarting corruption in Iraq? Is it
1: possible? Well, I mean, the process is usually with new governance systems is usually to try to to teach them how to put in place processes that lend themselves to, to effective monitoring where you can detect this. Some of it requires cultural change. You know, I mean, obviously, like people will tell you in the Middle East, the our definition of bribery is their definition of kind of a an expediting fee just to get something, you know, Bakshish, as they call it, you know, a little under the table to grease the wheel. Nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, it's just the way it's done. And so you're paying for it. He's giving you a service and all. Well, it's bribery. You know, it's part of it's cultural, part of it's education, part of it's teaching, governing processes and systems that allow you to effectively monitor and control funds how to budget, how to monitor budgets, know where the money's going, how to build a cadre of young people that will come into these positions of authority and manages at all levels that, uh, you know, you're, you're teaching them a new sense of value for non-corruption and uh, the signs of it, what it is. And some of it may be, have to be a uh, crossing cultural bounds. So it's not an easy process. It's uh it's going to take a while and it's going to take education and it's going to take monitoring and, yeah, you know, it's got to take a commitment on their part. People that have made a living like that, and, and that was the way business was done for millennia. They're, they're not uh, easy to change.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious. I talked about Gaddafi. If the United States doesn't invade Iraq, is Saddam still in power?
1: Today? You know, the thought when I was in Sencom was eventually he would go. Some Republican Guard general or somebody will get enough support together and take him out. They may not be the nicest people in the world. They still may be authoritarian, but they would come to their Arab friends who are or the Arabs who are allies and our friends in the region and to us and say, look, we had it. Sanctions are killing us. This guy was an SOB. What do we need to do to come out from under? We would have laid out some things that had to be done, especially initially, no one lives forever. So I think George H.W. Bush had the right idea. He did not want to go to Baghdad, you know, at the end of the Gulf War. He did not want to inherit Iraq. And so he established a containment and did it very effectively and said, you know, let's let time take care of it. And eventually, Saddam is going to pass on the scene one way or another. And, and, uh, One of the things we wanted to do is make it as orderly as possible. CENTCOM felt very strongly, my predecessors, about keeping the, if we went in to keep the army in being, as long as they didn't fight with us, we would pay them and keep, you know, keep the security apparatus with the, with the exception of Republican guard and the, you know, the guys with blood on their hands. But of course, (laughs) the CPA goes in and blows that all up and, you know, disbands them all and creates havoc, doesn't even control the, Armories and uh, ordnance depots. So make sure there's enough weapons that go around to all the crazies. And then close all the state owned factories and make sure everybody's out of a job and on the street at the same time. You know, not enough people, troops in there to maintain order. So all these nutcases can create little militias and terrorist groups and kill each other.
0: Nice picture that you're painting, sir.
1: <laughs> it's already been painted. <laughs> So, you
0: think that there, it would have been a better scenario than this. Saddam would have I
1: think it would have been a more orderly, orderly scenario. I mean, you could argue better. But orderly, I mean, I mean, sure. like somebody's going to, I'm sure, you know, the, the Bush administration people will say, well, look, it's a democracy. <laughs> really? You know? I mean, there are democracies and there are democracies. You
0: know? <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so let's let's talk about um, let's talk about Egypt and its role in the region and and where it's going.
1: Well, Egypt, you know, Egypt's might in some ways is its size, the size of its military, but it has tremendous internal problems. Economically, it's it's really in bad shape. It has a large population. Is trying to find ways to create a very diversified economy. CC is uh, he's trying to move the capital, get less concentration in Cairo. And, you know, if you've ever been to Cairo, the, the pollution, the misery, and create another capital, which draws some of it out and balances it. They've had hopes about creating more tourism. Obviously got a lot of things that people want to see. Security creates a problem. They've wanted to develop... The, the Suez more increase the size of the Suez where more ships can come through at a time and 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 the revenues from that could, uh, could help them. They discovered this huge oil gas field off the coast and they share it with Israel so that's had some promise of income. They still have problems internally with you know government systems that are that are not responsive to the people, maybe even a level of corruption in there that they need to clean up. They have this Muslim Brotherhood problem. Their relationship with us went in the toilet when after Tahrir Square, the moderates couldn't find one candidate. They had too many. So the Muslim Brotherhood won the election. Not They didn't have a majority. They just had more people because all the moderates didn't have a single guy like Sisi turned out to be. And and they didn't want want the Muslim Brotherhood. They knew the Muslim Brotherhood was going to Turn on them. We insisted. We supported the Brotherhood. We put a lot of money on the street uh, to help political parties there that they felt weren't vetted and, and trustworthy. Of course, the Brotherhood turned, tried to change the Constitution, tried, uh, violated it. They started persecuting Coptic Christians and, and blowing up churches. Uh, there was a violent element within them. People went back in the streets, wanted the Brotherhood out. The army who had tried to resist going into the street uh, you know, the police were, had been left to handle it. They finally were worried about Egypt collapsing. So they they acted and took out the brotherhood. Sisi took off his uniform, ran for office. He got elected fair and square with kind of a cautionary, you're in there now, but the people saying, we'll go back in the streets if it doesn't work out. So he's been trying to, you know, and he's got this uh, insurgency in the Sinai He's got Libya that he has to worry about. There were incursions and attacks. His southern border, you know, because of the Yemeni situation, the Iranians isn't secure. So he got tremendous security problems. We didn't like the way he was handling the Brotherhood and heavy-handed. We tried to sanction uh, military equipment and deals we had. This really hurt him. The Russians were trying to say, we'll fill those orders for weapons. So he does not want to go to the Russians, but we're pushing him on that. The Israelis want to support him. They actually, they actually were willing to give him military support that we weren't willing to give him. Even use some bases and everything, because with who he's fighting is their enemy too. They've got deals now with the Egyptians. So Egypt's a mess. You know, I I, I do think Sisi's trying to do the right thing and get him out from under. They have an obsession with the Brotherhood. Is it justified? Probably. Uh, it's certainly partially. Uh, It creates problems for them that people like the Qataris allow the Brotherhood leadership to be in the country. That's why they join the the quartet. They get support from the UAE and Saudi Arabia in terms of funds and support, which they desperately need. So they're they're willing to go along with, you know, whatever they want to do, especially vis-a-vis Qatar and elsewhere. But you know, in my mind, it's a keystone country. I mean, we have to improve our relationship with Egypt. And I just don't see the our, that our heart's in it back here. A lot of people back here have turned on Egypt. I mean, in in our government and uh, in the last two administrations, they are very upset because they feel they've been great allies. They They sent troops, they sent the largest contingent of troops to the Gulf War. Egyptian division they sent a brigade to somalia to to be with us they give us priority through the suez canal we need to get military forces through they overflight rights come right away diplomatic clearances use of their bases and they feel like uh, all these things they've done for us that we're not appreciative it's like what have you done for me lately and we've done things to undermine them internally and then in their greatest need we were cutting off supporting them you know maintenance and fire support systems for the Apache helicopters and everything while they're fighting, you know, their own insurgency uh, against bad guys uh, that they feel we should recognize as bad guys, Israelis do and other, and the Arabs do in in the Sinai and elsewhere. So our relationships are really strained with them and they're very bitter about it. You know, a lot of repair work needs to be done. I attempted to do it, uh, you know, working through the Middle East Institute we had offered with the State Department before Obama left office to try to, you know, sort of heal some of the wounds that were created from both sides. CC wanted to make sure, wanted to that relationship improve. Some of his cabinet members were bitter, very bitter, and it's just not going anywhere. You know, along with Saudi Arabia, those are the two key countries right now for us in the region that we have a relationship with, but they're rapidly deteriorating. Saudi Arabia MBS has not endeared himself to the American people with Khashoggi and the way he took over and how the royal family was treated and some of the things that he's done. I mean, they need to redirect their effort too. But it's another place in, in the region where what had been a very good relationship ever since Sadat left the Russian sphere of influence and joined us kind of peaked right before the Arab Spring. And then it just spiraled downward after that so you you had mentioned
0: the last several administrations so under under obama our relationship with egypt was bad good well what happened
1: was as soon as the arab spring happened we started doing the big celebration that this is the people in the streets going to rise up and they're going to demand democracy and all this and So as soon as this happened, uh, there was a strong feeling that we threw Mubarak under the bus, and he was a loyal ally. I mean, John Kerry put it the right way. We, He said, we can't not be on the side of the people, you know, understand it. I mean, we appreciated Mubarak's loyalty, but his own internal governance system and the government, we we couldn't support against the people demanding less corruption, more say in the government. But what happened was the State Department... Ran out there right away. Got seventy-six million bucks. Started distributing to anybody that said they had a political party. This is in the eyes of the Egyptian. Uh, Egyptians want to know who you giving this money to, you know, because some of these people are bad actors, and you're going to regret it. They became supportive of the Muslim Brotherhood because they felt well, they got a big following. The Brotherhood, you know, we wanted to see if if they win the election, they should be in charge. We should support them. They were warning us about the Brotherhood and what they were going to do, and of course, you know what they did to. Christians and violate the constitution to try to assume more p- power. Brought the people back into the streets. Then we condemned the military for acting because they felt we can't. This second revolution is liable to undo Egypt. And they felt they had to. So who's right? Who's wrong? Back and forth. But we got a little overactive, probably, in in what we did, and not a little bit more careful. Not understanding. It wasn't. It's again. It goes back to the idea that. This simplistic approach, you know, let's just go in the street and support the people. And, you know, kumbaya, we're going to have democracy and free market economy. I'm understanding the some of the things that are very nuanced, but down there where it gets more complicated than that. And sometimes the, the euphoria of being out on the streets and writing and demonstrating and all get the people going in one direction. And you have to be careful what you're supporting in there and what's in that mix. And they held that against us, that we exacerbated the situation and the problem because of the actions we took. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's interesting because you talked about the nuances between Arabs and Persians and Sunnis and Shia. What are the nuances then you, do you see in Egypt?
1: So that one said, we were Egyptians before we were Arabs. And that may, that did not go over well with a lot of people who who saw it as pre-Islamic because the Arabs brought Islam to Egypt and they aren't interested in that. You know, Arab meant Islamic and that's who they felt they were. So, you know, of course, his Sadat got killed for many reasons by his own people, you know, signing a peace deal with Israel and other things. But Egypt has had a different history. Egypt had a history before becoming part of the Arab world and, and, and the Islamic world. They had a very rich history. Right. So it's a little different than uh, than maybe places like Saudi Arabia, where there wasn't much of a history before Abdul Aziz or, or before Muhammad and and Islam and the development of the Arab empire. It wasn't a history that made them something else before they were, you know, they were Islamic and, and Arab and right. at, at, at the height of the Arab empire. and. Basically, the height of Islam, and in in, uh, you know, when it reached its peak in terms of the sciences and art Mm -hmm. and other things like other major.
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I I remember uh, when I was last time I was in uh, Egypt in Cairo and I was talking to this gentleman. I said, What do you consider yourself? And he said, I consider myself to be pharaonic. You know, part of the pharaohs, and I thought that was interesting. So, what you're talking about is this, this rich history way before the emergence mm-hmm. of Islam. So, then, so the the nuances then. How do you see? What do you see then, sir?
1: Well, I think that Egypt needs a break. Primarily, they need a source of resources. They need funding. So, they're getting some from Saudi Arabia and, and uh, UAE. They need for this. Oil field, their development, the Israelis to really produce and, and, and income. They need the money to enlarge the Suez Canal. So, you know, because ships are waiting out there for days, they get more ships through and double, they get more revenue and over time. They need to be able to invest, but you need resources to invest. Uh, they're looking at the Red Sea as a major tourist attraction. Of course, they have all the historic and archaeological sites that allow that. But it's hard to build that up when the infrastructure is not there. It's a crappy experience. Security isn't the best. So, you know, Egypt's problem right now is having the money and the investment to to, to change things. And, uh, you know, there are some places where that might happen. I think you can't say that CC isn't a visionary in some of these areas. It's whether it's more of a dream or is it an achievable vision? and. Will the resources come in to allow them to do that? Population works against them. Lack of infrastructure works against them. Government mismanagement, corruption and all, you know, not as bad as some some places, but still an issue.
0: So you you said that uh, Iraq was decades away from becoming stable. What's the timetable, you think, for Egypt?
1: I think if C. C. can be viewed by the people as uh, and and his successors as you know trying to clean up government, make it function more efficiently and more effectively, if he can if he can pull off some of these projects he's had, which shows some hope economically, I think they can get through it, you know. But if he can't, if these things don't materialize, and if they take a real economic hit, you know, something happens like. Uh, that drives down their ability to access resources in some way and, you know achieve the kind of funding they need i mean it could be a danger of a revolution internally again people go into the streets to hear to rear square that's a breeding ground for extremists and others are compiling in and then it becomes chaotic and it becomes a real mess and with such a large population of, and a large percentage of poor in the streets that becomes you know another one of those revolutions that yeah. For a long time, there's going to be violent, bloody, and then you're going to create another diaspora. People are going to want out and uh, try to get on boats and go somewhere or, or whatever. I mean, could you foresee that if,
0: if CC is not reelected, is that a whole nother, a whole other problem?
1: Depends on who gets elected if he doesn't get elected. I mean, if it's another moderate guy, you know, that's fine, but if it's like the return of the brotherhood or something, that's going to really be problematic.
0: Okay. Let's talk about um, Jordan. What's, what's its role? Uh, where do you see the, the future of
1: Jordan? Jordan has, again, much like Egypt, has a problem of extremely low level of resources, really dependent on Saudi Arabia and UAE. You know, they're very westernized, especially the king, have relied on us and been very loyal to us. And we like the Jordanians and Jordan even though their military is piss poor funded, it's a good military. They believe in training. Their, their troops are, are very good. They don't have much. Uh, the country's got tremendous problems in terms of poverty, access to water. They don't have oil to speak of. They ended up with all these people coming into Jordan. First, it was the Palestinians who tried to overthrow them at Black Sunday. You know, when they came out of the Palestinian territories, they had a a war with them. We went into Iraq. All the Iraqis came into Jordan. The wealthy ones escaped, went into Jordan, bought up all the prime property. The Jordanians suffered from that. Syrians now have done it. So there have been waves of these people that are not from Jordan, usually the first ones out that had a few bucks that come in and jack up prices because they, they get in there. So, you know, what is Jordan? You have a king that's half British, you know half Jordanian Jordan was never a country before the British created Transjordan just to give you know the the, the Hashemites a a place to rule you know half they got thrown out of Iraq via <laughs> coming from the Mecca and Medina you know when uh Abdulaziz threw him out of there they went into Iraq British put him in, on the throne there and then they got thrown out of there they created a country for for them so. You know, they've never been a real country. They've got this hodgepodge population, very poor, no infrastructure, basic problems like water. They hang on and they survive. They're very much dependent on external, you know, us, the Saudis, the Emiratis for their survival. They're good allies. They just don't bring a lot to the table. The troops are credible soldiers. They don't have a lot. You know, they can't afford the modernization of their small military. I mean, the value is, was when King Hussein signed a peace agreement with Israel, along with Egypt, you know, they became valuable in that it was another Arab country and it bordered Israel that was willing to uh, sign on to peace, almost cost King Hussein his life for signing on. That did Sadat, obviously. <laughs> and then eventually Rabin, for trying to make peace with the Palestinians, his own people tried to kill him. So, you know, But... It's really not a big factor out there. It's you have to more worry about its survivability. So, so really, it's it, you, well,
0: you, you've already stated it, it's uh, basically it's almost irrelevant.
1: Yeah, except I mean, it's relevant in two in a couple of ways. One, because it did sign the peace agreement with Israel, so it's important because it set a precedent. One that we value the Israelis value. The leadership there is, 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 you know, the king is well respected beyond just what the country has and would be respected because of his uh, education view of the world. Mm-hmm. He's, he's really engaged. It's important because it is very much allied with us and tied with us. Uh, it's important that even though its military is very small, they're very competent and good. So they, there is something there. Okay. You know, it's, it's taken blow after blow on, all these uh, waves of immigration in there and tried to absorb it. But these people had to have somewhere to go. It would have been a disaster. So it kind of stood up in that sense. So it's, it's more intangible what its value is, certainly far greater than its size or what it brings to the table in the way of resources or military capability or anything like that. But it's, it's an important country because it's in your block and you can't count on it.
0: Thank you for joining us. Find us on Facebook at General Zinni APW and online at APKCG.com forward slash APW. I'm Adam P. Kennedy, and this is America's Place in the World.